Uh, would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16? 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we give everyone a warm welcome in the name of the Lord this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to read just that one verse, the opening verse of the 16th chapter of Samuel. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Can we read that verse uh, just again? And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Title of this morning's message is Fill thine horn with oil and go. And we've been looking at uh, the life of God and revival over these weeks. But just during the week, the Lord has redirected me of another message on the life of God and revival, but He's just changed. Uh, this message this morning, give me this one to bring. I just believe I need to be obedient to the Lord uh, with this message. This opening chapter is a defining moment. Sometimes in our lives there's defining moments. Isn't that right? In our Christian walk, um, you know, I can look over my Christian experience from 1993 and over that time of walking with the Lord, and desiring to know him, and in all my failures, he's been perfect and he's never failed. But I also can see that there are defining moments in our spiritual walks. There's defining times that that God has appointed that happen in our lives and our in our lives in general, but specifically as believers, we see them as a defining moment in our experience. This was a defining day. This was a defining moment, and even perhaps this morning. For some individuals, and pray even corporately, this could be a defining moment for us as a people. This day was the end of the life of the reign of Saul, even though he continued to reign after this day, but it was over. And what you find is in God's workings or dealings, you'll find often God makes a judgment in the spiritual realm, in the physical realm that continues to run on for a little while longer. For example, the day that you eat of the tree, thou shalt surely die. When they ate of the tree, I know there was a death spiritually, but Adam lived on. And so we see often that God makes a judgment, but there's a physical running on of things for a time until it comes to an end. But once God speaks, it's over. Do you understand? Once God declares and makes judgment, it's over. And so this was a defining moment in the life of Saul. We'll look at him this morning for some time, but this was a defining moment because it was the end of his reign. It was the end. It was the last day of his reign. God would speak and God would finish the reign of Saul. But it was the beginning of a new day with David. And it was the beginning of a new beginning with Israel. God had a king that he would anoint and he would raise up. It was his king and it was a man who was after his own heart. And so this was defining. You see, a kingdom is defined by its king. A kingdom is defined by its king. 
When you read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll get the history of the kings of Israel. And what we read is Saul being the first king who was appointed and anointed to be king. We follow the, the whole history of the kings. And what you'll find often is a king is raised up and then you'll find these words. And they did that which was right in the sight of God. And what happened in the kingdom? Then people would follow the king in that way. And then you would read another of another king and it says, And this king done that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what happened? Then the people followed that evil way. So they'd raise up altars. They would worship other gods. There was idolatry. They went after other things. And so the blessing of the Lord was lifted. And then a king would be raised up again. And he did that which was right. The people rose up. They pulled down the altars. God became the center of their lives again. And what happened? The blessing of the Lord was on the kingdom. And what's important this morning is Samuel the prophet, who is instrumental in this story, the prophet of the Lord, he is standing at this moment and he is weeping and lamenting over Saul. Saul defined the kingdom. And that kingdom lived in defeat. That kingdom lived in insecurity. That kingdom had no blessing, very little blessing. That kingdom had no, no, no presence of the Lord at the center. Actually, the whole reign of Saul, he never sought after the presence of the Lord. He never went out to get the Ark of the Covenant to bring it in to the center of Israel. And we read of his, of his greatness and height and his stature, but he wasn't after the very presence of the Lord. And we see we see the defeat that it brought into the kingdom. We see a half-hearted approach. We heard about it on Wednesday night. We see that he served God with a half a heart, not in total obedience and fullness to him, but he, he wanted the outward, but never had that heart that was fully after God. And Samuel stands at, at, this, at this junction in, in the history of Israel. It was a significant time. You cannot underestimate this day. You cannot underestimate in the eternal purposes of God. A king was about to be raised up. A shepherd boy called David. A man that was after the very heart of God. A type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see the end of a kingdom. You see, a king will define the kingdom. Here's the, here's the reality. Here is what I want to bring to you this morning. How many of us are standing, weeping over Saul? What do I mean by that? Saul was a man that that, 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 that that type of Saul could mean our disappointments, our sin, our disobedience. We, we stand at places in our Christian walk and we constantly are looking back and we weep over that which was the past or that which was our failure, that which was our sin, that which, and that begins, what happens? That begins to define who we are. Well, I got hurt in church. And I'm weeping over this. And I've been weeping over this for 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. Well, know what happens? That king defines who you are. That hurt begins to define the type of person that you're going to be. And so we stand and we weep over our souls. And God's saying, how long will you do this? In other words, like the children of Israel, how long will you walk around this mountain? How long will you go round and round the same thing and allowing that to define you? Thank God this morning, we are not defined by the King Saul. We're defined by King Jesus. And what's happening today, brothers and sisters, is in a broader sense, and we'll look at this, that much of the church is defined by King Saul. 
That's defined by Saul. I preached a message once in here on Saul's armor and, and, and living in the outward ex- experience. And you know, Saul was chosen by the people. That's what the people wanted. And that's what we're living in today. It's what the people want. And that's defined the church. It's people-centered. It makes me happy. It pleases me. It's what I want. It's what I do. It's all about me. Brothers and sisters, it's all about Jesus. It's peace and what is it? It's joy in the Holy Ghost. And so many of us are standing at a saw. And we're weeping over a saw. And God said, how long will you weep and mourn over Saul? I have rejected this way. I have rejected that way. I have a new thing or a new beginning for you. And it needs a fresh anointing. How many need a fresh anointing? See, brothers and sisters, it's not enough. And I speak to this man standing here at the front of this church. It's not enough to identify any longer what is wrong, as much as that is right in some ways to defend biblical truth and what is wrong in the church. But this has to be a day when the anointing produces the reality of what is right. You know, we can make a ministry out of identifying what's wrong. And many ministries are there to identify and tell us what's wrong. But that's not enough. We've got to produce the goods, as the man says. We've got to see the reality. This was a defining day. Samuel was instrumental. The prophet and these events that are unfolding. This is the beginning of the end of Saul. Spiritually ending, but physically we know he carried forth. Samuel stands at this place. And God said, Samuel, and I believe this is what God's saying this morning. I may not preach long, but I know what I'm going to say is off the Lord. But some of you are standing at Saul's for far too long. Far too long. And actually what has happened, it's become to define you as a person. That's what you're becoming. And you don't even realize it. But Tim, you don't realize I get hurt. Listen, every person in church has experienced a hurt. Isn't that true? Listen, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because if you've been in church long enough, you will have experienced a hurt. But we then become to think that we're the only people that has a right to hold on to our hurt. Right? What happens? That becomes to define the type of Christian we are, but it's not of God. It doesn't define. What defines me is the King of Kings, is Jesus Christ. So if we've experienced hurt or betrayal or disloyalty or let down, brothers and sisters, it happens. It should not be, but it happens in the church of Jesus Christ. Could I tell you something this morning? Look up to the King. And you'll see one that was betrayed and forsaken by all men. And then you'll realize, my God, I've experienced the great forgiveness of God in my life. And so I will forgive. That defines the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. So we make a choice. Are we going to stand at the souls of our lives? Are we going to weep and lament over Saul? Or are we genuinely with a whole heart this morning say, I cannot stand at this place of mourning and death. Any longer, I must, I must fill my horn with oil and I must go. I must go. 
into a new place with God, into a new experience with God, leaving that which is behind and pressing forward towards the mark, the high calling in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, this morning, you could stand at your soul your whole Christian life and waste a life in bitterness and brokenness and hurt and pain and pointing the finger and blaming someone else. But this morning, that's not this kingdom. That's not the kingdom of God. Can I tell you this morning, there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God's dear son, Jesus Christ, and there's a kingdom of Satan. Can I tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that there is only two kings that are represented here this morning, and you're serving one or the other. One or the other. And that king will define who you are. If you're serving Satan this morning, you're not saved, you will be defined by him. And ultimately, even though this morning physically you're running and everything's great, ultimately it's a lost eternity without Christ. Boy, he's a liar. Saul was the people's way. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, I want to look at him for a moment. Saul was the people's way. At this time, Samuel was old. His sons were now walking with the Lord. The people decided and believed that they needed to do something in the light of that. And so they asked for a king. 1 Samuel 8 verse 7, they said, Behold, Samuel, you're old. Your sons walk not in your way. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. They wanted, they wanted a king. Do you know much of what is happening really today, brothers and sisters, is that is swept in, and we'll look at this because it's very serious and sinister, that is swept into the churches. They do not want this king to reign over them. They don't want Jesus. Now that might sound very extreme, but it's true. And what comes with that is a redefining of, of what Christianity is. And so Christianity is being redefined. Can I tell you this something this morning? Not all change is bad. I don't believe that, but one thing that never changes is Jesus. Never. He never changes. The word of God is the same for every generation. So here's the important, here's the subtlety. Culture does not define the church. Do you hear what I said this morning? Because this is really important. Culture does not define the church. Who defines the church? The king and the word of God. So when culture changes, which it has, hasn't our culture changed? I listened to an old, old testimony. The man's gone home to be with the Lord. He was 90 when he was sure, and he's an old preacher. And he was telling about, in his day, called it, his message was called the old time religion. It was brilliant. When he was growing up, it was nine cents, he said, for a gallon of diesel. Would be amazing, wouldn't it? Five cents or something for a hamburger. Boys, it there would be amazing. But what he talked about was, when he was growing up, how the church it was a Baptist church lived in the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was real. 
It was real. And it was defined by God's word and by the king. And he lived in the reality of that. But he talked about a changed day. The day has changed. But he said, the book's not changed and Jesus hasn't changed. And so we're in a day where culture is now defining what the church should be. Isn't that right? Are you with me in that? How it looks, how it sounds, how it's presented is all defined now what the world say. Brothers and sisters, we need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh anointing. But this is what the people wanted. The king saw that they asked for would live in defeat, insecurity, with little blessing. He'd be filled with jealousy, no anointing. He would seek familiar spirits. He would half-heartedly follow after God. He was disobedient. That was the king that defined the kingdom. Our king, thank God this morning, has given us the victory. Thank God this morning he blesses us. Thank God this morning he's defeated every giant. Thank God he's the anointed one of God. Thank God he destroyed every demon in hell. Thank God that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Thank God this morning he reigns forever. There's two kingdoms. Now God speaks to Saul and this is his last day. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you turn over, we just follow the story. It's well known, but I just want to recap on it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 2, the Lord had remembered what Amalek had done to Israel. Amalek, of course, there are many types that are understood to be Amalek, the flesh, or the enemies of God, or sin. But the Lord remembered what Amalek had did to Israel. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Trust God this morning. When everything is happening, and the, and the and the wickedness of man and the working of Satan, even in our parliaments that are working to bring in laws that are absolutely atrocious and they're doing it underhand and behind. It is just an awful thing what's happening to bring in this abortion law and same-sex marriage and how they're doing it. It is wickedness in high places. Could I tell you something? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will not forget what they're doing. I'm... I'm Friends, they're bringing in the, the abortion act. It's even worse than what they have in England. All abortion's wrong. All abortion, whether it's four week or whether it's full term. But they want to bring in the full term abortion into this. That means a baby right up in nine months. Listen, this is an awful day and the church is asleep. We are asleep, brothers and sisters. We are. We're being rocked to sleep. We're being defined by the culture and the, and the spirit of the age. It's time for us to waken up. But God says, I'll not forget. I'll not forget. And so he says to Saul this day, I remember what Amalek did, how he lay and wait for them in the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, spare them not, both slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. So Saul is directed by God to completely obliterate Amalek. In verse 9 it says this, But Saul, as he went down, he spared Agag and the best of the sheep of the oxen of the fatlings of the lambs, all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, 
that they destroyed utterly. In other words, he took it upon himself that he would half-heartedly obey God's word. It, hasn't, it doesn't have to be all in the altar. It doesn't have to be fully surrendered. It doesn't have to be, I'll go all the way with Jesus. There's a different cross. It's a new cross. But friends, we're clinging to the old. But the new cross says you don't have to give everything up. You don't have to lay everything down. You don't have to surrender your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have the world and have a wee bit of God and enjoy yourself and we'll put it under the banner of grace. It's not grace. It's not the cross. It's a different gospel and it's a different Jesus. But it's subtle. So he goes, but he keeps the good and spares the king. Partial obedience. Verse 11 of 1 Samuel 15. God says, it's repented that I have set up Saul to be king. He's turned his back from following me and not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And Samuel cried unto the Lord all night. He cried unto the Lord over Saul all night. The prophet of the Lord. He wept all night over over what was happening, over Saul. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, you know, it should grieve us what's happening today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a question of we're right, they're wrong. We're better than them. They're worse than us. It should grieve us to the core. We should weep over where the direction of the church is going. Listen, whatever department or ministry that you're involved in in this church, Whatever it is, children's work, ministry, prayer ministry, outreach, the, the Harmony Christian School, whatever ministry, if it's not centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to stop it. Why? Because the end's death, and we don't have the anointing from the head to do what we need to do. It has to be Jesus-centered, cross-centered. Otherwise, what happens? We have to make something up to keep the thing going. And it's a soul ministry and it dies. So it grieved Samuel and when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. Listen, I performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done it all. I, I want to ask you a question. How many people have you met that have once been in church, made a decision, which I believe can be dangerous, made a decision for the Lord, and then they say to you, but I tried that and it didn't work. How many people have you met like that? I tell you, we haven't got enough fingers and toes. And the reality of it is they haven't come to the place of genuine repentance and full surrender to the Lord. And then they say, but I was told I was saved and I believe that I have done everything that I'm told to do, but I've never been born again of the Spirit of God. Saul is trying to convey. Here's the lesson here. Saul is saying, but I've done everything what I'm asked to do, but it didn't work out really the way it's supposed to work out. I want to tell you, young person, older person is not saved in this in this church this morning, sitting under the sound of this preacher's voice, I want to tell you, it's free. But let me tell you everything. He gave his life for you, and he wants your life in return. There's no cheap 
conversion. Every conversion is precious and it's a born-again experience, but it happens when a heart is fully surrendered. Saul said, listen, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do here. And then Samuel says, well, what's the sound of these sheep in my ears? The lowing of the oxen which I do hear. Verse 20, we hear Saul again. Look what he says. But Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. See, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. I've gone the way which the Lord has sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've destroyed the Am- He actually, here we have is a man living in self-deceit. Deceit's an awful thing, but self-deceit's a terrible thing. Because you're convinced that you're right. And you've done everything that you're supposed to do, but actually you're deceiving yourself. It's an awful thing. I've done it all. Let me ask you, have you? Saul really is a type of where we've come to today. But it's dangerous. And this is why it's dangerous. Listen, verse 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Then he said, Behold, obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken that the fat of rams. Listen to these words. For rebellion is as the sin of what? And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Listen to what the Word of God says. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Not obeying the voice of the Lord. Not fully obeying the voice of the Lord is as the sin of witchcraft. Can I put it to you today, brothers and sisters, if I have already stated much of the church is defined by Saul. I believe that so much of the Western church is filled with witchcraft. That might horrify some people. Some people may not be true, too happy with me saying that, but I believe it to be absolutely true. It's filled with witchcraft and rebellion. Witchcraft, of course, is a work of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5. Stubbornness. Not wanting to move on from Saul. Not wanting to leave the hurts or the disappointments or the discouragements or what they did or what she did or what he did or how they treated me or how they've done this and how they've done that. I'll not move on. That's rebellion in the sight of God. And what is it? Spirit of witchcraft sweeps into the body of Christ. That might sound extreme, but brothers and sisters, it's in God's word. The reason our nation is infiltrated with foreign religions, the rise of iniquity, and the enemy is plotting with success and implementing his agenda is because the church is being defined by Saul. And not Jesus. Saul's ending, you see, some might mock, laugh, or disagree. That's fine. But you see, the end is really important. The end is really important. In 1 Samuel chapters 31 and verse 8, we see the end of this ministry or this way. In 1 Samuel 31 and verse 8, 
we see that Saul has gone out to battle. And Saul is slain in battle, and his three sons fall with him. And it says, And it came to pass in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 31, On the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head, they stripped him of his armor, they sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. In other words, the world made a spectacle of Saul. He became a spectacle to the world. Brothers and sisters, that's what's happening. That is what's happening. We see that the church in some respects and in some areas are becoming a spectacle as their fall is catastrophic. And know what the world do? They parade it. Oh, and this is this is the people that follow God Almighty. These are the Jesus people. Look at them. And they get the hold of them and they nail them to the wall. Their heads are cut off and they're a mockery to the world. That's the devil. That's what's happening. That's the end of this, this life of Saul. It's catastrophic. Oh, but it feels good. I mean, you want to see the way we do it. It's so great now. We really enjoy how we live. I mean, we, are, we have moved into the 21st century. Move into the 21st century. But I'm not defined by this world. I'm defined by Jesus Christ and God's word. That's how we're defined. He's a type of our flesh. He's a type of our failures. He's a type of our disappointments. He's a type of our discouragements. We come to a time in our life like Samuel where we are genuinely and sincerely weeping over our souls. And God is saying this morning to someone, or perhaps to all of us, it's time to fill your horn with oil and go. It's time. And that takes a heart that's going to be obedient. A heart that's going to be fully after God. A heart that's going to say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs a man or a woman of courage to stand up in this day and say, as for me and my house, we'll serve God. Follow Saul if you want to follow Saul. He is a type of our disappointments. Anyone got disappointments, discouragements, failures? God said today, I have rejected Saul. We must move on in obedience. We have compassed this mountain long enough. God says, how long will you mourn? I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. How long will you go the way that brings no blessing, no victory, no peace, no joy to your life? How long will you live in defeat, weeping over Saul? I have dealt with this Saul. I have dealt with him through the death of my son and through the power of his blood that you can rise up this morning in a new beginning in God. I've cast your sins and your failures and all your hurts and all your pain under the power of my blood. Mourn no more. There's a fresh anointing. Samuel, fill your horn with oil. You see, the church needs to be full of the Holy Ghost. And we know, we know, we know, we know 
We know the messages. We know the preaching. We know the Word of God. We know the truth this morning. We know that there is a baptism in the Holy Ghost. We know that there is a filling of the Holy Ghost. We know there's a fire that burns up the dross and fills the vessel with the power of the Holy Spirit. We know this morning the truth of God's Word. But the reality of the baptism, the reality of it, we can know everything in our head. We can have a head filled with information and knowledge. We can quote the Scriptures. We can quote the Word of God. But friends, this morning, it's an anointing. It's the reality of the power of God. God was about to do a new thing. As Isaiah tells us, I will do a new thing. Isaiah 43 and 19, Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Is that the God we serve today? Is that who defines you today? Or is it more of anchoring round the mountain? Or is there a new thing in God? A new thing. A fresh anointing. But how much of us are standing with an empty horn? An empty life. The filling of the Holy Ghost. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. The vessel full of God. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do those words mean something? Are they a reality in our lives? Samuel would go to the house of Jesse and find a shepherd boy called David. David, a type of the Lord. Anoint him with oil and the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. Oh, brothers and sisters. Oh, as we talked about, oh, for a night pouring of the Holy Spirit. The pouring on of the oil. How many are holding an empty horn? Many are walking around with an empty horn. Oh, I've got a horn here. Friends, I want to tell you something. The purpose of the horn is that God would fill it. The purpose of the life is that he'd fill you with the fullness of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the life, the vessel to be full of God. God's purpose when he saved you, subsequent to that great salvation, is the filling of the power of the Holy Ghost. But for a new thing, for a new day, for a new day, for our day, for the 21st century, I'm going to tell you, friends, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the answer today as it was 2,000 years ago. Would you say amen if you believe it? Are you with me? Samuel's standing in the house of Jesse. He's left his soul. He's left the mourning and the weeping over all that's wrong. You know, it's, it's so, so often found in Scripture, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now rise and go. There's times, brothers and sisters, that there has to be an entering into what God has. God's looking for people to be proactive. God's looking for people to respond. It's not just the case of every Sunday. Well, I'm here again. Praise the Lord. Just give me another message. Ah, oh, it was great. I'm way home. And we're full of, of, of knowledge, but it's living the life and the power of the Spirit of God. There has to be more. I'm here for more this morning. Because we need more. Under the anointing, you see, under this kingdom, a completely different structure and setup. If you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, the first thing that David does when he becomes king, 
1 Chronicles chapter 13. Not be too long, just another few moments. 1 Chronicles 13 verse 1. David is now king. He has the anointing of God upon him. And here's what the anointing does. Sometimes we're saying, well, what happens when the anointing comes? What am I supposed to do? Listen, this is what the anointing will do in a life. The anointing will want to seek the Lord. But I thought the anointing was for me to go and do something. The anointing primarily will be for you to come and get a revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He will speak of him. So when the Holy Spirit moves on a congregation, on a life, do you know the first thing, and you all know it, if you've you've been in a meeting or you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the one thing you want? You want him. That's the first thing. If it's anything else, brothers and sisters, there's something wrong. Because he's come to exalt Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. And here it is. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds with every leader. David said unto the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you that, and that it be for, of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in the land of Israel, and with them to also to the priests and the Levites which are in the cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Now you see that word inquired? If you ever want to do a study, study that word where men inquired and where men did not inquire and see the end of each one. Are we here to inquire of the Lord? Are we in here this morning to seek after God? Are we here this morning to seek after Jesus? David says this is the anointing we want to inquire. We want the Ark of the Covenant, which was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of God. The whole reign of Saul, they never sought after the Ark. Not an awesome thing? The first thing that David says, we need to get the Ark of the Covenant right. We need the presence of the Lord. I want to tell you, friends, we need the presence of God. Listen, I know he abides in me. He lives in me. I'm talking about the manifestation of the presence of Almighty God. Listen, it's the answer to a world that hates God. It's an answer to every vice. It's an answer to every system. It's an answer to the Antichrist world. It's an answer to our parliament. It's an answer to the homosexual, to the Muslim. It's the anointing of the Spirit of God. Presence of the Lord. That's all. That's the answer. Does God know about the 21st century? He's outside of all centuries. 1 Chronicles 13 and 9. They decide to bring the ark. They felt it was the right thing. You read the story there of Uzzah that put forth his hand on the ark. Remember, for the presence of the Lord to come back, it was a new cart. There was something new needed to happen. There's a, a new consecration. There's a new sanctification. There's... There's a decision made. It was a defining day. It was a defining moment. We need, we need something new. Brothers and sisters, we need a new thing. And so we see here, Uzzah put forth his hand. And we know at that point that he was slain for trying to steady the ark. Now verse 12 tells us this. David was afraid of the Lord that day. How shall I bring the ark of the God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself in the city of God but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, 
And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. Let me see, let me show you this morning what the blessing and what the power and the presence of the Lord will do. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. We need the presence of God because the blessing's on every home and every family. So now David wants to bring the ark to the center of everything. Verse 14, David inquired of the Lord again. David said unto him, God said unto him, Go not up a, this is a, a battle, sorry, that's about to take place with the Philistines. His desire is the presence of the Lord. And so David inquired and said unto, God said, Go not up after them, turn away from them, come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear the sound of the going on the tops of the mulberry trees, that then I shall go out to battle, for God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. And the fame of David went out all in the lands, and the Lord brought fear upon all the nations. Not only are they seeking after God, but the next thing is that God gives them victory. That's the presence of the Lord. When they heard the sound and the mulberry tree, God came and God gave them a victory. Are we serving the same God? Amen. Are we defined by the same king? Have we got the same Jesus? In verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1, David made him houses in the city of David, prepared a place for the ark of God, pitched a tent. David said, none ought to carry the ark of the Lord, but the Levites as the priests. For them hath God chosen to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister unto him. David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place when he had prepared it. Verse 25 of the same chapter. Here's the preparation. This is, this is the new thing. And David and the elders and the captains went to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom. But you know how they did it? They did it with joy. They did it with joy. Amen. You know, I want the Lord. I want his presence. Amen. I want him to come. But I tell you, friends, we need to do it with joy. Amen. It came to pass when God helped the Levites to bear the ark of the covenant that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and all the Levites that bear the ark, the singers, and Janiah, the master of the song of the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting. You're not allowed to do that in church. And with the sound of the cornet and the trumpets and the cymbals making noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking the daughter of Saul. You see... They're going to pop up from time to time. That Saul is going to pop up. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out at a window, saw David dancing and playing, and she despised him in his heart. Brothers and sisters, this morning, just coming to a close, this is a defining moment. There's some in this room this morning I want you to hear me. It's a defining moment. Collectively, I pray it is a defining moment for us. We can't, we cannot, we cannot stand at Saul 
and weep and mourn over our souls. We cannot stand at a place of death and defeat and be defined by King Saul. Samuel, how long will you mourn? Fill your horn with oil and go. See that anointing? See the presence of the Lord? To seek the Lord? To seek His presence? For the anointing of God to come upon a people? For the joy of the Lord? What is the joy of the Lord? Know what it is? It's your strength. But how many are weak? Can I tell you something this morning? You're looking at the weakest man in this room. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The power of the Holy Ghost, they came with singing and with shouting, and the presence of the Lord was in the midst. What happened then? Their enemies are defeated. The power of the Holy Spirit, there's a rejoicing. They're dancing. They're rejoicing. And Saul's daughters are going to do and do. Remember, they never sought, they never sought the Ark of the Covenant as whole reign. And there she is, shaking her head, looking down her nose. That old religious spirit, Northern Ireland has it up to here. That old religious spirit, them ones, eh? That's the crazies on the corner. That's all right, we'll be the crazies for Jesus if we have to be. But let me tell you, friends, I'm not talking just about an emotional feeling, but the living reality of the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. How long will you mourn over Saul? How long will you stand and allow Saul to define you? This morning, I'm not defined by Saul. I make a decision. I'm defined by the King of Kings. That's Jesus. I'm defined by his word. And so I make a choice this morning wholeheartedly and obedience to God's word. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But, oh God, we need our horns filled with oil. We need our horns filled with oil. Let us pray together this morning. Let us stand as we pray.